The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I'm joined by Kate Rope, and Kate is the author of this amazing book, Strong as a Mother, How to Stay Healthy, Happy, and Most Importantly, Sane from Pregnancy to Parenthood. And let me tell you, she sent me a copy so I could look over it before this interview, and dang, this is an incredible book. She has everything broken down into these really edible <laughs> little <laughs> paragraphs and all this information. It's just, it's just yummy. She's also an award-winning freelance journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Time Magazine, and now Birth Circle. And she's a mom to two. So thank you so much for being here, Kate. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. All right. I'm ready to dig, dig in. Um, Let's do it. First of all, why did you write this book? So I wrote this book because I wanted to be a mom my whole life. I knew this is the only thing I've ever known that I wanted to do. And then the experience kind of slapped me silly. I, I, it wasn't what I expected. It was much harder than I expected. And um, when I was looking through books, you know, I had, some, I had some medical complications during pregnancy and that led to some anxiety during pregnancy, which eventually led to anxiety after pregnancy. And when I was looking through these books, uh, none of them were talking about what I was going through. And I, I felt kind of like an alien in the world of, of pregnancy and preparation. And I would, you know, go to these prenatal classes and the women would talk about wanting to have a completely unmedicated natural birth. And I had just gotten out of a hospital and was like, I just want to be alive for my birth. Um, <laughs> so, you know, or like I'd be taking medications for some of my health stuff and it would be like, the book would be like, if. Uh, you have a headache, just look at a Tylenol, but don't actually take it. And I was like, but I'm taking steroids. So I just felt like my experience wasn't reflected in anything. And then that made me feel like a freak. Um, and so I started talking to other people and realizing that actually what I was experiencing, lots of it from the medical to the anxiety to the run of the mill, um, lots of other people were having too. And I decided I wanted to write a book that just talked about what a life changing this transition is and how um, there's beauty and struggle within it. And that's all beautiful. And let's just A, say it's okay to struggle, B, give you the information you need to work through whatever your struggle is. If it's just, you need better sleep, if it's, you need to have better sex with your husband, if it's, you need to tell your partner, you don't want to have sex. <laughs> if it's, you know, you think you have a postpartum mood disorder and you may need professional help, like whatever the struggle is, one is not better than another. It's a question of figuring out what you need and getting it and taking care of yourself. And I feel like ultimately all the books that are out there, all the books on pregnant women's and new moms nightstands say are about the baby. And I want to write a book about moms and for moms. Write a book about, yeah, because you don't mention the baby very much in here. It's all about <laughs> The, the babies Mom. are good. The babies yeah, it's are like good. a side. It's like a side sprinkle. It's like a yeah. side dish, but it's not yeah, the main yeah. course. <laughs> no, they're they're covered. You got any number of books to talk to you about how to take care of a baby. It's, I wanted to talk about how to take care of you. Yeah. So, what are the one? Of, what's one of the biggest myths of motherhood that you tackle in this book? 
Um, I think that it's easy and blissful. Um, I oh, think, yeah, it was for me. I don't know what's wrong yeah, with everyone else. I, I know, I know. It's just like that movie Knocked Up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's so weird that we have this narrative in our culture that, I mean, it's, yes, it's an amazing thing that you can make a baby or that you can bring a baby into your home and raise that baby. That's amazing. But to think that that would be easy, like another human, yeah. like gro growing a human in you mm -hmm. or going through what you have to go through to bring a human in through adoption or surrogacy, um, third party reproduction, all of that is incredibly challenging. And to think that you would just sail through that and then have a small being that is dependent upon you for survival and that that would be just easy and happy and blissful and smiley all the time. Well, not I don't only know why is, we think that. Yeah, not only is that a conundrum, but why we can go through it ourselves and struggle and, and it really struggle and then turn around and judge other people for their journey. Right. Like right. how that's even a bigger question. How, how that even I happens. Think, yeah. I think that, I mean, my theory on that is that because it is such a huge shift in identity and in life that we try to find our bearing and when we find it, whatever it looks like. Uh, for me, it's like being really emotionally in tune with myself and taking care of myself and doing the same for others. It's like now I'm an evangelist for mental health and taking care of your mental health. And if you decide, and if attachment parenting was what got you through, then you're an evangelist for that. Like, I think that's, and then I think, you know, you meet parents of like teenagers and they're like, I don't remember what I did. Because I know. <laughs> they've, they've, moved, they've moved through it. But when you're really in it, it's like, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a zealot because you're newly yeah, converted to whatever has gotten you through. And so I think it's really easy to think that you have the answer the mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, it's like the zealousy of the newly converted. So I don't blame people for that, but I do think that you have to know that's in the soup. Like that's an ingredient that you're going to yeah. be dealing with as a pregnant person and as a new mom. So that's, that leads me to my next question about unsolicited advice during pregnancy. So you're going to get unsolicited advice about parenting, but it, it starts in pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, unsolicited I deal advice, with that. yeah, unsolicited advice. And then also statements about how things are going to be like, get sleep now. You'll never get it afterward. Or, you know, hope or, you enjoy those showers. Take them long. It, exactly. And I think again, at base, it comes from like human nature that we want to connect. We see a pregnant woman. We want to connect with her. We don't really, we don't know her. We don't know why, how to do it. Why do we have this desire to connect with a pregnant woman? I mean, I think that's like a mystical I know. Spiritual she must, reproduction. Yes. There something. must be some sort of pheromone. There, there must be yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, especially like, I don't know, older men. <laughs> and then they're the ones who get it like the, sorry, older men, but like the most wrong, you know, they're the ones who say the weird things about yeah. how big you are, or how little you are. Oh, and... You look a little lopsided. That's cute. Yeah. Cause they're just so <laughs> awkward. So I think like people, people want to connect, but then they, they, they screw it up sometimes because they're just humans and they, um, they, instead of like the best way to not screw up an interaction with another human is to just ask questions instead of saying things to be like, how are you? What's that like? You know? But instead, we are, we're like, we get diarrhea mouth and then we're like, oh, are you having twins? You know, like, uh, you're not going to get an epidural, right? We just, so I think um, that pregnancy is a great time to practice setting boundaries. Um, and that starts often with, um, 
with getting unsolicited advice or comments that, you know, make you, and they, and they don't know what your story is. You know, you could have had three losses before you were pregnant and, and that informs the way you feel about this pregnancy or, you know, um, someone who's carrying really small, maybe struggling with an eating disorder and keeping that baby healthy and being told they look small, which people think is a compliment is a really scary thing for them because they're working to keep that baby yeah. healthy. So again, like being you told, said, the best just, thing is not to say things, just, just ask, ask questions. Just ask questions. But I do have some comebacks because yeah, okay, I know I not, not everybody's going to listen to that advice. He's pulling out the book. I'm, I got the book. Um, so, um, you know, for size, something like, you know, everybody carries differently, but I'm feeling great. Like, you know, you just kind of deflect from, from the topic of the way you're carrying. Um, or like, I love this one. Growing a person inside of you is kind of amazing, right? Like, just let them know, like, I'm growing a person. I'm pretty busy with a big thing. And, I'm pretty you know. busy. I don't have time for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you could be straightforward. You could be like, thanks. I don't really like talking about my body. You know, it feels private. Um, can we talk about something else? You know, can, can you say something snarky like, oh, yeah, it looks like you're three months along as well. How is oh, that going okay. for you? Well, actually, <laughs> um, I had a friend who would reach out and touch other people's bellies when they would touch her belly unsolicited. Um, which I just thought was awesome. Oh, yeah, I don't, I would never have the courage. And I know, I, like I, I could do that. <laughs> um, you know, you could just like, how are you going to give birth? You know, well, that's a really private matter between, you know, my provider and I, or my partner and I, or, you know, we're still working on it. We're still thinking things through. I guess um, maybe oh, sometimes they ask questions because they are not settled with their own experience, maybe. So yes. if you, if you deflect them, you say, if they say, how are you going to give birth? You say, well, how did you give birth? Tell me about your birth stories. That's a great way to do it. Just, I yeah. don't know. Not that I really yeah. want to hear a stranger's birth story, but. Or if they start laying into a story that is very scary and you don't want to hear it. Yeah, that's could, what I'm worried about. You could just be like, you know what? Um, right now that just feels like I'm not there yet. Like that just feels like too much for me to hear. Like, can, can, can we talk about that down the road or something, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and, oh, this is, this one I got from, who did I get this from? Paula Spencer Scott, who wrote a book on pregnancy etiquette the name of which is escaping me but there's a was, whole book on there's it? a whole book on pregnancy oh. etiquette yeah uh would you excuse me i have to go to the bathroom <laughs> just get like get out of there um but um oh hands off the merchandise if someone touches you and you don't want to be touched uh you break it you buy it you know you can make a joke out of it um but but i think the bigger thing is you know, as a parent, you're going to get unsolicited advice uh, in those early stages of maybe having family visit. Um, there's going to be all these times when you're going to need to set a boundary or you're going to want to set a boundary. And pregnancy gives you these little moments to, you know, to practice it so that it's yeah. easier um, down the road. And there is something about motherhood too, I think, which if you're a people pleaser like me, um, it was really liberating because once my child, once it was about my child, like it was hard for me to stand up for myself as much, but once I was standing up for my child, no problem, you know? Yeah. So it really, yeah, no it's saying a really, it for me is harder. Yeah. And, but now saying it for me, it's easier because I've said mm -hmm. it for my kids so many times. That's true. So, I yeah. know I used to say, if people would say, Oh, just enjoy it while they're little. Cause someday you'll look back on this moment. I know my kids are not little anymore and I still don't look back on those moments with tenderness. Those were hard moments. Anyway, yeah. when they were doing that, I would actually, I started saying by the fourth child, I figured it out. Um, I would say, Oh, is that an offer for free babysitting? Cause I could really use a break. <laughs> That's awesome. And they'd yeah. be like, Oh, well, I just enjoyed my kids. I'm like, I'm not actually enjoying it right now. So <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I've been very honest about that when I've been struggling with motherhood. Like, actually, right now, this isn't when I pictured having two kids and going on a camping trip and playing a card game around the picnic table. I didn't picture waking up seven times a night and not. Amen. Like, like there's, there's, there's all these experiences. Pinterest version of motherhood. Yeah, and your own like reel that you've played in your head, if if you have, um, of what it would be like. I honestly think I, ha- I didn't really fully start enjoying it until, I don't know, my kids were like seven and 13 or no, I don't have a 13 year old, <laughs> seven and 11. Um, you're just anxious. You're excited for the future. Yeah. So you, you talk about it's okay to admit when you're struggling and you're not a Debbie Downer if you talk about your struggles, right? Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you get help and how do you communicate that you're struggling without sounding like a Debbie Downer or being seen as, you know? Right. Super pessimistic. Cause I think that's kind of the worry. We don't want to like burden other people with our, our yeah. struggles. Well, I think it depends on how, what kind of struggle you're talking about. I mean, if you're just having a hard day and someone that you're friends with asks you, you I mean, I'm, I'm just honest. I'm just like, you know what? Today's really hard. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, you know, and, um, and she's been crying all day or whatever it is. And, uh, I'm kind of struggling today, you know? Um, if, if you really are struggling and, you know, I know we'll get into talking about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, then I think you want to pick someone you know will be receptive. Mm-hmm. Then you want to like figure out who in your life is not going to be judgmental and is, has been the most helpful in, in the past and just sit them down and be like, can I just be brutally honest with you? Because I'm having a hard time and I trust you to help me with it. And I just want to tell you what's going on. So yeah. I, I think it depends. If it's just like sharing you know, your struggle on the playground. I think, I mean, I do it. I sometimes, sometimes I get stares back, like they don't understand what I'm talking about. And I just tell myself, I'm sure that they do. They just don't want to talk about it. Um, Cause everybody struggles. Like motherhood is not an easy thing. It's a life transforming, you know, career calling. I mean, it's, it's a full time gig. It's not going to be happy all the time. Yeah, exactly. So um, while you're pregnant, um, talk about the Google trap. Oh, yeah. Um, it's so hard. It's, I, this is the advice that I give out that I probably violate the most. Um, I, mean, I did it just the other day when one of my kids had hives and I was like, is it COVID? Um, <laughs> but, I, uh, but I do think if you're having a lot of anxiety about things um, in your pregnancy, or maybe you've had a loss before, and so that's kind of top of mind, um, I think you need to really limit how much you go online to look for answers. Because ultimately, there are people who can give you good answers, and usually they're your healthcare provider if you trust them. And if you don't, then I suggest you get a different one if you can. Yep. Um, they might be a family friend who's a healthcare provider, um, people in your life that you can go to and say, this is weird, this is happening, you know, but if you go to the internet with like any kind of symptom, there will be people on there who have had the worst possible outcome of that symptom, or you already are looking for that because you're putting together spotting and miscarriage instead of spotting and normal. So you're going to get the answers that say your spotting is, is, you know, forewarning a miscarriage. So I think, um, and, and a lot of times the stories people share online are the hardest stories because they go there to share them and to have support. So it's just really, you can easily fall into information that's either not, not actually good, not good medical information, not validated by a source, um, or is 
triggering if, if you're having anxiety around a health issue related to pregnancy. So mm -hmm. um, I think if that's you, then um, you can even talk with your provider in one of your well visits and just say like, if I, if this comes up for me, like what website do you think I should go to? Or yeah, I like I, that. Or, or can I call you or can I email you? Um, because I've got a lot of, you know, I, because I had postpartum anxiety after my first daughter was born, when I was pregnant with my second, um, my doctor who had, who it was the same, you know, we just had an open email policy and I would just be like, okay, I'm freaking out about this. What do you think? You know, and he was very blunt with me, which in, in a really good way, like, yeah. You know, okay. Keeping you no. grounded. Yeah, exactly. So I think well, like the finding thing... the sources that you trust and yeah. not just putting yourself out to the winds because you're going to well, hear bad stories. And Google's that's... great. If you want a quick answer, how long is the Nile? You know, if you want really quick things, right? what's a substitute for lemon extract? Yeah. But if you want, I had, a, I had a, one of my babies ask, um, is God real? And I was like, well, you know, there's, there's proof on both sides and it's really a faith thing. He goes, well, why don't you just Google it, mom? And I'm like, that's, we expect Google to have all the answers, but right. really it's just a collective. It's just a reflection of our, of humanity. It, yeah, exactly. So, um, I actually say find a good book because it, the yeah. books are well researched. I answer that. I should that's yeah. Strong as a mother. Seriously. I've seen yeah. a lot of birth books in my day and this is a great one, but, um, if, yeah, because these are more researched, they're more carefully cured. The information is more carefully curated. Somebody has put a lot of time and effort into doing this and it's not just somebody spouting off venting their birth trauma or their opinions on a free platform. Right. Yeah. I had one book post giving birth, um, that was my go-to for, for any kind of sick kid thing, because it, it was so clear. It was like a high fever is okay. If they're acting normal, you know, like if they're acting really weird and they have a low fever, that could be like, it was, and I, and I would just listen to it and I would just, that's the answer, you know? And if it was, and if it, if it was, yeah, you might want to call your doctor, then I'd call my doctor. So that, yeah, a, a good, well-researched book is also an excellent resource. So what's, what does self-care mean to you? Um, so I feel like self-care gets a bad rap um, because of a couple of reasons. You know, one, people think that it means like going and having margaritas with your girlfriends or a mani-pedi, um, or they think that it means sort of taking care of yourself where society fails to take care of mothers, which dives into like a political discussion. But for me, what what I think about with self-care is figuring out what are the elements of your life that make you function well and what are the things that make you feel like yourself and make you feel joy. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily, like a mani-pedi can be a fun thing to do. And if being with friends really, um, maybe not now in COVID, but, uh, you know, eventually it will be again. Um, and if being with friends is really a fulfilling thing for you, then that really, that could be self-care. But um, if you grew up singing in a choir or in the glee club, you know, finding a singing group that um, you can do once a week uh, to me is like really brings you back to who you are, just brings you joy for an hour. You're singing, you're not thinking about the rest of your life um, and sleep. There's, <clears throat> there's sort of two levels, I guess I think about one is the basics that we all need um, for our mental health to function well and research has shown time and again, and that's enough sleep. Um, moving your body doesn't have to be, you know, training for a marathon, but like consistently moving your body in a way that feels good to you, um, eating, eating well and, um, you know, doing what you can to, to control stress. Um, so 
all of those um, are kind of my bare bones. Like as I was heading into virtual learning and I knew that I would be sharing my office with an eight-year-old um, and she would be dealing with Zoom meetings and stuff. I was, you know, two weeks before I went, started going to bed on time. I meditate every morning. I exercise every morning. Now I have older kids, so I have some space to do those things. But I knew that I, I, I figured out over the years the elements I need to put into place that make me feel, that sort of give me that baseline stability. So that's kind of like the foundational self-care. And then on top of that is thinking about what brings you back to yourself, um, you know, and I think about like playing an instrument, singing, karaoke, uh, yoga, you know, sometimes exercise and, and what brings you back to yourself are the same thing. Um, you know, having time with friends, having time without friends, reading a book. Um, sometimes I'll just announce to my family, like, I'm going to go read for two hours, which again, because I have older kids, I can do that now. Um, so I think it's really about tr a trial and error process of figuring out what makes you feel stable and good and then what makes you feel joyful and then doing what you can to put those elements in place in your life and not yeah. feeling and knowing that if it means less playtime with your kid or if it means um your partner taking over bath time what you know if it means a loss to you know to your kid that's not a loss to your kid that's that's a gain for your kid because a happy healthy parent um a patient parent, a well-slept parent is a better parent. Yes. So they're going to have a better quality of experience with you. And, and bonus, you're modeling taking care of yourself, which you yeah. want them to do their whole life. So exactly. anytime I start to feel the, the, you know, I used to feel guilty, but now I don't. Anytime it starts to creep in, I'm like, but here I am showing them that, you know, my back is hurting and I'm going to take a hot bath and, or I'm impatient and I'm going to go read. And, and they'll suggest it to me now. They'll be like, mom, maybe you should lie down. Maybe you need a time out, mom. Maybe, maybe you need to go take a shower. <laughs> they will. They'll say exactly that. Yeah. I love maybe, it. But self-care, self-care is more from what I hear you saying, it's more about finding the things that help you function and be whole yeah. and grounded. So yeah. If getting a mani-pedi is that for you, right. great. But if yes. for me, it's having my laundry done so that I'm not like digging through to find something to wear. So it's, for me, it's making sure that, that my laundry is done. Yeah, it could be. I mean, for or, me. Or I clutter. love sleeping in a clean bed. So I change our sheets a lot more often than my husband would like, you know, would, would prefer, like he doesn't care. Right. But that's right. a self-care for me. I love going to bed in a fresh bed. So. And that's huge. That's self-care. Yeah. Yeah, I love coming downstairs to a clean kitchen in the morning. And yeah, so my mom said my that too. I don't get that one. That. Yeah, I don't get yeah, that one. No, no. <laughs> I'm a clutter. I can't clutter makes me feel very stressed out. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, again, then don't be judgmental of other people's self care routines because right. I know my mom would like sacrifice come hell and high water. Her dishes were done by the time she went to bed. She did not want to wake to a dirty kitchen. And me, I'm like. I want to read. I need read. Right. I need, I yep. need my downtime in bed. So I'll leave the dishes till the next day. And both of us are functioning just fine. <laughs> right. And sometimes it's just, it's just like getting real about what, what that is for you. Like, you know, cause it could be easy to think, well, oh, I shouldn't be leaving my dishes in the sink, but no, if that means you get upstairs and you get reading time done and you don't mind dealing with them in the morning, then yeah. do that. Yeah. So my mom's self-care, I shouldn't have shame, guilt that my self-care routines aren't the same as my mom or my friend's. Yeah, because no. you're not your mom or your friend. So you mentioned uh, getting the partner involved. So let's talk about the conversation of co-parenting. Um, the the, the conversation is thrown or the the topic is thrown around a lot. But I kind of wanted to ask 
I want to ask you what your thoughts are on what co-parenting means and um, how to kind of navigate what's generational expectations for gender roles or what's happening in your family and how to kind of navigate that for you. What does co-parenting with your partner mean? Um, Yeah. So I actually have a section on that in the book. And when I was researching it, I realized all the things I had done wrong. Yeah. um, yeah. And that I wish I had (laughs) done differently because I think I went into it with the expectation, like my husband's a feminist, I'm a feminist. We we believe in equality, um, you know, it's a little bit like the conversations that's happening around Black Lives Matter right now. Like, like we thought that everything was agreed upon, but like what actually happens is different than belief. Um, right. So talk about that. Cause that's, yeah. So, so I think that, um, you know, we fundamentally were like, we're going to be equal parents, you know, and we're going to do things equally, but like I gave birth and I breastfed and um, at a certain point, I was laid off my job. And so I was the one primarily home. Um, <clears throat> and then I started working from home. And just the gender roles just crept right on up us. You know, like they just, I was doing all the cooking. And I knew all the pediatrician phone numbers. And, you know, it, it wasn't co-parent. I mean, he was pitching in wherever he could and whenever he was home, but it wasn't structured in a way that um, really felt like an equal partnership. So when I researched it for the book, I talked to people and they were like, you need to get, and, and we had talked about sort of like, what are our values around parenting? We talked about discipline. We talked about some big picture stuff, which I think was useful, but you really need to get granular if you're planning to, to have a child with somebody and say like, what are you going to be responsible for? What am I going to be responsible for? And it's you know, an ongoing conversation. It's all and the it time. it can change, you know? Because but like the- we had this thing, he did, he did barf and I did poop because <laughs> I couldn't do barf and he couldn't do poop. So that was our co-parenting in the early years. Right, right. There's these two economists that I once had on a podcast and uh, they called it inputs and outputs. So since she breastfed, he changed diapers because she was inputs and he was outputs. Um, oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> I know, I know. It was brilliant. I was like, why didn't I think of that? Um, but I think, yeah, getting really granular and it will change as you figure out what you like and our, you know, your work schedules, but saying like, this is, this is your domain, this is my domain, and, and even writing a contract if, if that feels like something that's useful to you, uh, the two of you, um, that says who's going to do what, and then you can reevaluate um, as you go. And I think if you start from the beginning with this, and, and if, let's say that somebody's giving birth and somebody's breastfeeding, then factoring that in and then figuring out all the other ways uh, the other partner can be um, responsible for other arenas um, or, you know, bottle feeding with pumped breast milk or formula if you're mm-hmm. doing that. So um, I just think being really conscientious about the fact that co-parenting doesn't just mean you believe in equality between two partners. It, it, it means you build the infrastructure for that equality to happen. Yeah. Um, and so, so if you get asked out or you get asked for a commitment, if you find yourself saying, well, let me check with my husband more often than your husband does the same thing. I think that's kind of a, a red flag or partner, not just husband, but you know, my husband, he does come to me. He goes, Hey, I want to have a boy's night on Friday night. Is that okay with you? 
And I'm like, yeah, go for it. And then I do the same thing. Hey, I'm going to podcast today. Can you keep the kids, you know, duct taped to the wall for me, please? And he goes, sure, gotcha. So the, we, we do that back and forth, but this was years of figuring it out because even though we believed, we both believed in co-parenting and he was a feminist, you're right. It's just, what did he see modeled in his own family? And what did I see modeled in my own family? Even though we, we both have awesome sets of parents, it still like crept in. Like you said, right. we, we kind of fell into these, these, these traps and it's, we had this big fight. I mean, it's, I like your idea of writing contracts, but then at the bottom, your last line needs to be, and this can be overturned next week by another right. contract. <laughs> right, right. We could have another meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, t he's an accountant. I take care of meals mostly in March, but I hate cooking. So he does the summer meals when I'm scrambling to mostly do kids. I wrangle kids while he works during the day. So it's great, but it's a conversation, ongoing conversation. Yeah. I remember early on, we went away for the weekend with a friend who didn't have kids and she was doing this impression of what it's like to be with new parents. And she's like, you're asking if you can do everything. Like, honey, is it okay if I read the paper now? Like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Is that all right with you? You know? And we were like, yes, yes, yeah. that is critical oh, because there's that. a small being that could stick their finger in a socket and we need to know that somebody's on for it, you know? Um, so yeah, I do think it's a constant negotiation and then it gets more flowy as, as their needs become less all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just think being really, transparent about it and then also having check-ins i mean we do family meetings now um with the kids but having family meetings early on with just the parents to say like how's this going for you you know <clears throat> do you feel connected to the child um would there be activities you could do? you know because also sometimes the kinds of activities get really gendered like the mom is doing all the comforting because she's yeah. breastfeeding or well whatever. i was just gonna One say how come how come they always bring me their trash i'm the one that gets the trash not their dad. I'm the one that gets the empty Capricorn yeah. containers. Why? That's uh, a gendered role. Yep. Mama's yep. trash bin. <laughs> I know. I'm always like, I'm not a garbage can. Fine. I'm always, I am not your customer service representative at the moment. Please check with the other parental unit. Right. They're like, but you'll say yes, mom. I'm like, no, I won't. Go talk to your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's an ongoing conversation. And um, I, I definitely think... And it's still, I still feel like our, our breakdown because I work from home and because he works a, you know, more than nine to five job. Um, it's still very skewed. And so I'm very vocal about that with my daughters, you know, like, yes, it happens to be that. Yeah. You know, I love that. I do most of the cooking because daddy doesn't know how to cook. And it happens to be that I do this because I have the flexibility in my job, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but that's why he does all the laundry on the weekends or that's why, you know. And just having and, that discussion with the kids for sure. And I've yeah. given whole areas over to him. I, the, the useful thing about the fact that I've been sort of the primary parent is that if I don't want an area, I just, I give it to him. Like, I don't want school. I don't want to be in charge of what they haven't turned in or what's happening when I'm like your school guy your homework guy, your communication with school guy, your teacher communication guy. Um, and that works really well because that's an area where I, I might get a little anxious, but I can yeah. just, I just pass My it off to him and does I'm like, that too. bring it up, bring it up to the, to the high levels when, if it needs to be, but otherwise you handle it. He can, he can uh, left brain that stuff a lot better. He works better with spreadsheets, logins, computer tech. Like we had a stylist emergency this morning. The Chromebook stylus was gone and that was terrible, right? He deals oh, with that. Oh, we need a Chromebook stylus. 
<laughs> Apparently, you can't do school without it, according to my nine-year-old. Um, but I always keep the, the fridge full of food. And he's like, hey, babe, thanks for always making sure we have something to eat in the house, even if it's just ingredients. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, some of that, yeah, you're right, is a little bit gendered, but at the same time, it's like strengths and weaknesses. Like, I don't like cooking. I have a hard time cooking, but I'm really good at managing the fridge situation and the pantry situation. And so I always make sure there's good ingredients. I'm yeah. really good at helping the kids with their creativity and their businesses and getting them um, scheduled for for get-togethers. I hate calling them playdates, but getting them with their friends. But I cannot stand homeschool or home from school, <laughs> school from home. <laughs> and yeah, it's yeah. not ideal. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So co-parenting is, um, I mean, and it can start too in pregnancy when you're saying uh, me growing the baby means you run for pickles at midnight. That is a type right. of co-parenting. Right. A, it's a division of labor. <laughs> it's a team. We got this together. Yeah, and it's an understanding that, yeah, that, that this is a shared experience in whatever yeah. way we can make it. I love it. Shared. Love it. Yeah. So talk about um, postpartum. Um, how do you rebuild your identity as a mother? Um, yeah. Well, it's almost two things. It's like your identity as a mother and then your identity as a person. Um, before you were a mother and, and how do you maintain that? Um, we, we, we have seven more hours. So if you want to, just kidding. <laughs> so I'm going to get some spreadsheets and some flow charts. <laughs> right. and diagrams. You're going to have to explain it. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. And I mean, then I, it also changes every subsequent child too. It's not just the first time you become a mother. Yeah. I mean, I think really the bottom line for me is just getting in touch with what you're feeling and being okay with that. Like, and, and that every, almost everything we would talk about here would flow from that. Like that feelings are just information, you know, like there's no bad feelings. There's no good feelings. Like struggling as a mother doesn't mean you're a bad mother. Um, feeling weird, like being like, this isn't, I don't know if I even feel like a mother, you know, that's not bad. That's just information about like where you are on the journey. And so you take that information and you, and you figure out what would help. Am I okay with feeling not, you know, I think it's, my husband talked about how pregnancy was like a dimmer switch, but I think motherhood is too. You know how like you're like, well, we're 11 weeks and we heard the heartbeat, but we're waiting for the 16 week scan. And so he's like, you're slowly turning up the dimmer switch till the light's on in the room. And I think it's the same for your identity. Like, so, you know, some mm. women, some moms don't bond with their babies for like a year after they're born, you know, I mean, they're taking care of them, they're doing all the right things, but they don't feel that connection, you know, that's taking a longer time to develop and that's okay, you know, and then one day, you know, something happens that they connect with and they're, and they feel it. So I think um, just being true to wherever you are in the experience um, and not, and trying as best you can not to take on the expectations of society or your mother or your partner even about what, about how you should be relating Again, don't Google, don't be in the forums. Yeah. Don't <laughs> or don't judge yourself based on like the, the, you know, the person who showed up at the preschool open house with the made, the homemade cupcakes. And, you know, I mean, okay, that's her. You, and you showed up however you showed up and that's you. So I think um, if you're really struggling, you know, I'm a huge fan of psychotherapy, which I know is not always affordable. Um, but more and more insurance is covering it. Um, and I think if you're really having a struggle and certainly if you might be having a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, 
therapy can be hugely beneficial because it's a space where you get to go once a week and just say all the things you're thinking without worrying what someone's going to think about you, you know, to this totally neutral, confidential party. Um, and if you find someone you connect with, I think that can be really powerful. Um, I think doing some of the self-care things, like if you are feeling disconnected from who you were before becoming a mom or before having a baby, maybe you don't even know that you feel like you've become a mom yet, but before having a baby, um, going back to those things, um, you know, like I said, karaoke night or, you know, finding a, a singing group or, crafting or whatever, whatever things brought you joy before figuring out how you can work them into your early uh, parenting life. And the thing about babies is like, they're trans, like they don't, they can go with you wherever they can. Um, they're, they, they're transportable. You can take them with you to the beach to like sketch if that's what you like to do, you know? So um, I have this, this great uh, parenting coach that I um, often interview who's in uh, Manhattan. Her name's Dana Rosenblum. And she's like, if you want to feel comfortable with your baby and you're having a hard time bonding, like do things you like to do with your baby. And she's like, that could even be watching Law and Order with your baby in the little, you know, car seat bassinet thing next to you. Um, the baby doesn't care, you know, and you're interacting with the baby. You're doing something that makes you feel relaxed and good. And then that's going to help you feel more connected yeah. to the baby. I'm going to say something that's probably pretty controversial, but I've learned through as, as now as a wise old mother that, um, that it's better. I think for me, at least for me, it was better to go about my life and to go about who I am with the baby as my accent than to shift everything to the baby. Like instead of making sure that, I mean, I always made sure their needs were met, but they came to work with me. They mm -hmm. came on my consults with me. They like, they just learn to be part of my life. And now as they're growing in their and they're coming up with their own identities, I get to play along with them. Sometimes they'll be like, Hey mom, I'm going to go. I need to go mow lawns today. My, my son has a business. I need, I need to go mow lawns um, today. So you're going to drop me off and then, you know, you can do whatever you want while I'm mowing lawns, but I need you to pick me up. <laughs> a little right. demandoid. So, so, but I like, I like, Hey, how dare you? But at the same time, I expected him to do the same for me when I was, mm -hmm. when I was doing my own things. And I, and I love it because it, and I, I don't have time to like go into it, but I, it's really fine that he does that because it's, instead of dropping my entire existence for the first 15 years of their lives, I yeah. got to still be me. Now, the first couple of years were super, super rough as I was figuring this out. But by the fourth time, the fourth baby, I was doing a major, major construction project and she was too young for preschool. So I set up my van as a little mini, mini uh, fantasy land with TV and snacks and new toys that she could only play with in the van. And she went to work with me every single day. Yeah. And I think that helped with the bonding. Like I needed to get this done for my family. This is how we supported our family. And she came along. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's how most babies have been right. born and raised for ge generations. I mean, that's how it happens. Mommy has to milk the cows. Mommy has yeah. to do the laundry. Working, so yeah. Or try you know, not to fall out fields. of a tree. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. I love the movie babies for that very reason. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes. Where they it's took the it was documentary, like, um, right? Yeah, it's like a baby from Nigeria. I'm not sure which. Well, uh, I think he went all over the world. There was one from there Mongolia, were four, right? There were four countries. Yeah. Yeah, it was Mongolia, Japan, San Francisco, and um, a country in Africa, maybe Namibia. And just 
watching all the different ways people raised and they were all fine. And, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, the values were different. Like at the end, they have the moms watch the documentary and some of them are like, Oh my God, you know, like there was a, there's part where the Japanese baby is trying to accomplish something and she can't do it. And she's getting super frustrated and laying on the ground and crying and then sitting up and trying it again. And the, I remember the mom from Namibia being like, why are her parents not there helping her? Like, <laughs> yep. you know, but the parents were like, she'll figure it out on her own, you know? And yep. it's like, those are both valuable approaches. It's just, if there was like one way to raise a baby, we would have figured it out by now. So I don't know why. And a lot we, of it is we're, we're giving, um, cultural cues to our babies as they grow up. So like I'm trying to embed them with feelings of confidence and self, um, what's it, self-independence, like that they can make their choices. They can, they don't mm-hmm. need their self-reliance. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. But in, but in other cultures where it really is the entire group needs to, to stick together in ways that we don't even understand as Americans for survival, then that kind of parenting wouldn't work. So we can't judge other parents. <laughs> we don't yeah. judge their cultures. So talk about like, how do you know when your thoughts as a new mom are just normal and when they're starting to become a perinatal mood disorder, postpartum, psychosis, OCD, Sure. So um, the first thing I would say is that um, they, you know, they used to always just say postpartum depression, and now they say perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And the reason they do that is because perinatal means it could be during pregnancy, it could be after. So like 50% of these um, disorders start in pregnancy. Um, And then, um, and then they can look very different than just the person on the, you know, you get that brochure from the hospital and there's like this really sad woman in a chair by herself, which doesn't even make sense because why is she by herself? And like, how does she look so put together, even though she's sad, but um, that's not, yeah, I'm always like, mm. like, I didn't have a lot of moments of like sitting with a cup of tea. And also in a, don't look at star photography. Looking yeah. out the window. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, there's a whole range and, you know, basically the, you know, your hormones go nuts during pregnancy and after having a baby. And this can even happen if you've adopted a baby, um, post-adoption depression actually looks a lot and anxiety looks a lot like, um, if you've had a baby, if you've given birth. Oh, so, yeah. um, but basically, um, anxiety and rage are actually more common symptoms than just all out sadness. Um, and so for me, when I had postpartum anxiety, I was, I was extremely functional. You know, I was getting up, I was going to work, um, in in the classic sense of being functional. You know, I, I, I was totally bonded to my baby and I just took care of her. You know, I just, every, but it was like hyperdrive. I was always worried about her. I couldn't sleep because of the worries about her. Um, I threw up before work because of the worries about her. So, um, I didn't recognize it for a long time. Um, and it turns out that anxiety is much more common and OCD and anxiety are kind of, um, bedfellows. And one of the things that's really just normal for all new parents is having scary thoughts about their babies. It's basically like 90% of new parents have scary thoughts about their babies. Like what if, what if she rolls off uh, this changing table, um, you're cooking dinner. But, what if I, but your what, thoughts are even like, what if she rolls off the changing table and the bed falls on top of her? Right. What if the roof comes in? I mean, these ridiculous things and you're like, come on in your head. You're like, come on, that would never really happen. But then they still make your heart rate go up. Yes. And, I mean, you, you could be cooking dinner and see a knife. What if I pick this knife up and stabbed my baby? What if the knife fell da- off the counter and flew across the Did room a triple and, slip and yeah. happened to like go in her eye? Yeah. So, and, and 
it seems crazy, but what it is, is that, I mean, it's sort of like, have you ever been like in a subway station and the train's coming toward you and you think, what if I jumped in front of it? Um, or you're driving down the road and you're like, what if I veered into the oncoming traffic? More often than I'd like to admit. Yeah. And it's not a desire usually no. to kill yourself. It's, it's a, what your, your brain is trying to figure out what could go wrong in this situation because I'm going to guard against it. So it has to like get creative and think about all the possible ways things could go wrong. And so that's exactly what your body is doing as a new parent. You're in this evolutionarily, it's evolutionarily appropriate for you to be thinking about threats to your baby and even threats from you. So John Abramowitz, who's this awesome cognitive behavioral psychologist at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, he's like, it's even normal to be changing your baby's diaper and think, what if I sexually molested my baby? He's like, that's a hard thing to say out loud. That's a hard thing to hear, but that's a normal thing to think because you're thinking what could be the threats. And you're the only one in that room. So you would have to be the threat. So all those things are normal. They're fleeting thoughts that are just your brain's way of thinking about all the bad things that could go wrong. If you have those fleeting thoughts and then you're like, ah, and then you like change your baby and you go about your way and you're like, that was weird, you know, but it doesn't, you know, and you have them here and there, but they're just, they're not upsetting you a lot. They're just passing. Then that's just normal parental adjustment. If you have those thoughts and they start really upsetting you, you really worry, like, what does this mean about me that I'm having these thoughts? Or you change your behavior, you're worried you're gonna fall with your baby when you're walking down the stairs. So you start making your partner carry the baby down the stairs. Um, I had one woman I spoke to who had this walk in LA that she would do and she would go over an overpass over a freeway and she was constantly worried she would drop her baby. So she changed her route. Um, if you were worried about you know, what if I molested my baby you, and you stop changing your baby's diapers? Or you're so worried somebody else would that you don't let anybody else change your baby's diapers. So if you just start like getting into your life and or occupying your mind in such a way, like for me, it was always worrying about my kid's health and it would keep me up all night. When it gets to that level, that's an anxiety disorder, potentially OCD. Um, OCD usually is when you start creating behaviors to avoid the worries. Then there's something called postpartum psychosis. And this is what everybody hears about in the news. So it's very rare. It affects like, uh, you know, one out of a million moms. Oh God, I hope that's that. I right. know it's, it's super rare, it's but we rare. know these stories. They drive their vans into the ocean. Right. They drown their babies in the bathtub. They jump that out is a window. so, so rare. That is so, so rare. Um, Enough that they make and the news. Even, and even, um, even for women who have postpartum psychosis, hurting their baby is even more rare. So just because someone has postpartum psychosis doesn't mean they're going to hurt their baby. But mm -hmm. what it means is they have, they're having a psychotic break. They are breaking with reality. And so for them, usually if they do have a thought about hurting themselves or hurting their baby, it makes sense to them. They, you know, it, often it can come with a religious overtone, you know, some, whatever your religious belief is, is telling me I need to do this. Or it can come from, anxiety that you've somehow damaged your child so greatly, whatever reason, whatever, you know, story your brain has concocted that killing your child would be a better alternative than letting them live with this horrible yeah. whatever. So, yeah. um, so those are the stories you hear about in the news. And then everyone's like, she had postpartum depression. No, that was no. not postpartum depression. It was a psychiatric emergency and it's totally treatable. Yep. And um, you can go on to be a totally functional parent. So, yeah. 
Um, I think like the important thing to know is having these scary thoughts is normal. And there's actually, I, I go into it at length in my book. Um, but there's also a cool book called um, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts by Karen Kleiman. That's a, um, you should have Karen on your show too. I know. That's a um, graphic book. And it's like just all the crazy thoughts you have as a new mom and just normalizing that like everybody has these thoughts. And so the question is, how do they make you feel? Are they making you feel so uncomfortable and they're affecting your life so much that you should get some professional support, either therapy or in my case, I do therapy and medication. Um, so that, that you can start enjoying motherhood, you know, the way it was intended to be enjoyed. It won't be easy, but it won't be like crushingly hard, you know. Um, or if these thoughts make sense to you, then that's an emergency. Or if you're with someone and they're expressing to you thoughts of hurting their baby and they seem very sure that it is the right thing to do, yeah. um, then that's a psychiatric emergency. That person needs to go to the emergency room and they can be stabilized and treated. Yep. And um, without judgment. I mean, there's still the stigma that if you have a psychiatric break, then you're always forever fragile. And mm -hmm. I, I can vouch 100% that that's not true. That this is a huge hormonal event first. And then like yeah. you said, the, the biological, the evolutionary reason for our brain doing this, it's, it's an acute problem, not a chronic problem. That's right. And with the right treatment, you know, you can, you can, can return to normal. Fine. Yeah. 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 But there's all the worries that if you admit to this, then CPS will come and take your kids. And that's not oh, but an they invalid do worry. Yeah, that is not an invalid worry, particularly if you are a mom of color. Um, and so I think the key is if that is happening to, um, to a mom to get her to a, I mean, you need to get to an emergency room because it is an emergency situation, but then you need to get that emergency room connected to resources that can say, this is what's happening. This is the kind of treatment she needs. This does not mean that her child should be taken away from her. Yes, maybe she needs to be separated from her child for a period of time while we stabilize her. Although there are also mother baby units where, yeah. where um, the mom can get medical care and the baby can be there too, which is cool. Um, but you know, I, I don't invalidate that worry because in some communities, that is a very valid worry. Um, yeah. And so the key in that situation is to get in touch with, um, and I would go through postpartum support international because they're the most Love connected, mm -hmm. um, postpartum, so postpartum.net. Let me just double check that. Um, and, um, and, and get through to someone who can talk with, the resident, the person at the hospital and explain what the situation is. There yeah. are reproductive psychiatrists who specialize in this and, um, and they will not judge you. They will be on right. your side all the way to the end. And yeah. some of this is also, um, pre pre birth. So if your mother had a, a history of losing her marbles after babies were born, or if you were feeling really unsettled, um, then looking at these resources, confiding in people early will yeah. also set the stage so that if it happens, people are like, oh, she was feeling unsettled at eight months. This is, you know, we need to get her help. I know for me, I didn't know what happened with my first two babies. The postpartum perinatal mood disorder is pretty severe, but I kept it to myself and managed. But that in and of itself caused trauma. And I just happened to, in passing with my midwife at the third, mention some of these intrusive thoughts, but I didn't say all of them because, gosh, I don't want to lose my kids. And she just looked at me. She, she goes, I think that you suffered a lot more than you needed to. And I want to make sure that you don't this time. 
And she seriously completely turned my postpartum around. My third baby, the postpartum, I would say it was more of a depression, more of like a baby blues, but there was not not near the magnitude because she heard me, because she showed up for me and she like, because some of it too is you have those thoughts and then if you let them stay, they just kind of spend more time in your head. And then there's the neuroplasticity. So the more you spend time thinking about, the more your grooves in your brain, you know, right? So even her just giving me permission to not be okay and that she'd have my back And by my fourth baby, I can literally say not a blip on the radar. So I went from pretty severe, probably should have had intervention, really needed intervention. Luckily, I don't know. The universe just had my back somehow. But it really, really, really for me was scary and very traumatic Mm -hmm. to having a pregnancy with absolutely no perinatal mood disorder. I know, like you say, it's treatable. I feel like in a lot of ways it's preventable and it is definitely something that we shouldn't be shaming. Yeah. And I've had so many women over the years reach out to me and, um, you know, once, and I'm like, you can't, you know, you can't believe how much better you can feel how much sooner, you know, like, and then they get help and they're like, Oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? You know, I mean, you can't know until you know, but like there really are good treatments and where you really, none of us deserves to, to struggle to the point where motherhood feels, you know, like an impossible burden, you know, um, and our babies and our partners don't deserve that either. Nope. Nope. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I would say, um, I have on my website at katerope.com. If you go into news and events, I have a very detailed, um, post about when pregnancy or new motherhood doesn't feel like the happiest time of your life. And it has all the symptoms and it has all the um, resources like postpartum support international and others um, that you can reach out to and, you know, get someone on just, just getting someone on the phone who can validate that what you're feeling is, is, is common, you know, I mean, one in five women experiences a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. That's, so that's a lot. 20%. 20%. So that's a lot. And, 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 that's, and that's I think like it's underreported. Probably more than that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's really common. And, um, and there's, there's good treatment and there's, there's people who will understand and want to get you help. So, yeah. you know, reach out to them. Just, just be brave. Just make that yeah. call. You know, and talk to your partners. Friend. Talk to your partner. Talk to your support team before your birth about yes. how you would like to be treated and how you would feel about, you know, <laughs> just. Yeah. I mean, I, my husband and I made a deal before uh, my first pregnancy that any feeling I was having afterward, I could say to him and he wouldn't judge me. He would get me help. So I could even say to him, like, you know, I, I wish I hadn't done this. I, you know, we wish we yep. didn't have a baby, whatever yep. it was, I could say it. And I mean, you were allowed to eat pickles and ice cream just six months earlier. So how come you're not allowed to say you, you'd like right. you know, these crazy thoughts, right? Right. And then he would get me help. So I, I often tell people to, to, to find that person for you that you can go to and just say all the things you're thinking. Um, and also to bookmark Postpartum Support International and other websites with symptoms. And if you have a history of anxiety or depression <coughs> or bipolar disorder, um, then kind of noting, getting your village on board with like, like sharing it with your closest friend. Here are some symptoms. If I start acting like this, will you talk to me? You know, um, because I did that for my, for my second birth, I was much more prepared and I did have postpartum anxiety, but I was in and out of it because I knew what it was and I got treatment right away. And, um, it was like the express train versus taking the local. And, um, so yeah, I think 
just preparing for the possibility. It doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. Yep. But, but if it does, you're, you, you know what to do. You have, you have a starting point. To yeah. And I, I think as we give more focus to it, the science will respond and have more options like HG, the hyperemesis gravitarium, mm -hmm. I can't even say it, but the throwing up that's the, so bad that you have to be on IV. Um, that's yeah. a really, really serious disorder that's only affects pregnant women and we treat it. We take care of it. You don't shame the woman for it. You don't have any, you know, hoopla about it. You just care for the woman, right? It's not her fault. Right. I feel like postpartum mood disorders are the same thing. It's just something that happens and we need to have acute care and we need to honor the person and keep them well. And then she'll be and we need to screen for it. Like, like it's twice as common as gestational diabetes and everybody takes that disgusting test at whatever, 20 weeks when you drink that liquid and then pee. And like, similarly, we should be screened at, at um, our prenatal visits and at our postpartum visits, not just once, but several times. Yeah. And they should be broader screenings that touch into anxiety and other, these lesser known symptoms. Um, because this is the number one complication of pregnancy and childbirth. Yeah. And we don't treat it like that. Number one complication other yeah. than having a baby. That's the number one complication <laughs> of getting pregnant yeah. mm -hmm. is having mm -hmm. a baby. So how do people find more about you? Find your amazing book? Just, just devour all the resources you put together. So uh, Strong as a Mother, which I have right here, is available wherever books are sold. I always love it if you can support a local independent bookstore, especially love right it. now. Um, but you can also just order it on Amazon if you ain't got time. Um, and uh, katerope.com is my website. And um, I think I'm at Kate Rope on Twitter and um, Strong as a Mother book on Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. Thank you so much. So Kate Rope, K-A-T-E-R-O-P-E.com. Yep. And as always, if you have any questions about this episode or want me to reach out to Kate on your behalf, then my email is media at birthcircle.com. Thank you so much, Kate. This has been really Thank you for having me fun on. conversation. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.